0: Welcome to Campbell and Cohen's Kooky Quarantine. I'm Seamus Campbell.
1: I'm Ben Cohen.
0: And we are joined I'm, I'm today. Are you? I was going to introduce you, but okay, the man, the myth, the legend, and also our oldest guest to date, Michael Corbett.
2: That's right. It's Mike Corbett, the one and all. Be Mike Corbett. Be Mike Corbett. That, th- those are all of my social media handles, so feel free to follow me.
1: If you need something like L. Mike Corbett or Mike Corbett 6969, those are still available. Correct. Okay, good.
0: We have tried many times to buy themikecorbett.com, and there's some uh, artist that has it or something?
2: Yes, there's a band called the Mike Corbett Band, and instead of just buying themikecorbettband.com, they've also bought themikecorbett.com, which is really annoying.
1: Have you considered uh, challenging their lead singer to a fight to the death?
2: I mean, I would ha- be happy to challenge their lead singer to a karaoke contest. I'd probably win that.
1: Maybe a joust?
2: Uh, 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 sack races on consecutive Sundays? That's possible. Anybody get that reference? No?
1: I feel like I should.
2: Basketball. Like uh,
1: wow, that is
0: a throwback. Yeah. I was like seven when that came out.
2: Shut up. <laughs>
1: I think this might be the first time I wasn't the first person to get a pop culture reference on the show. Uh, and that's a milestone.
0: There we I didn't go. didn't get it, so.
1: So should we end it here? Is that good? <laughs> I mean, I think that's the preview.
0: So, Mike, how have you been holding up uh, during the whole quarantine?
2: You know, I'm I'm lucky to be healthy and safe. Both my brother and I, um, who I live with, um, we're both healthy Safe, we have someone else in the house that we can like communicate with, so it's not complete isolation um, he's He unfortunately still has to go to work. He works as a doorman, um, but both of the buildings he works at are pretty close to home they're with like a five minute walk away, so he, he doesn't have to travel on public transit. Um, they're giving him gloves and a mask every single day, and the the buildings that he he works in um folks in the building um seem to have a lot of them have second homes because the buildings are like 75% empty so um on an average 8-hour shift he'll see like four or five people so he's not coming into contact with many people me I'm lucky I'm lucky enough to be able to work from home um for those who don't know I work for a New York City council member Costa Constantinides who represents the Astoria part of Queens uh and hopefully all of Queens very soon um and he, he actually, you know, this is public knowledge, so I'd be happy to talk about it. He, con- he contracted COVID, um, is coming back out of it right now, feeling good, feeling healthy. And, you know, our office, we're, we're the eastern part of our district, um, is serviced by uh, Elmhurst Hospital, which is, you, if you watch any of Governor Cuomo's briefings, uh, it's sort of like, the epicenter in the borough of Queens. It's where the most cases have come. It's where I believe the most uh, people have passed away. Uh, And uh, we have to, you know, help our constituents out and guide them to, you know, if they don't have COVID to try to go to one of the many makeshift hospitals in the borough of Queens. So still working. Um, Lucky to have, still have a job in this environment. I know a lot of people aren't as lucky as I am. Uh, So even though, The boredom is starting to get to me as we as we enter week five. I'm more than happy to, uh, you know, take that as opposed to being unemployed.
0: I will say with Elmer's Hospital, the BAMF of, I guess, the week for me was the sanitation worker who was also offering uh, free cocktails on last uh, last night, Friday, uh, to all the workers coming out of the hospital.
2: And, and every day at seven o'clock, I'm not sure if this is a national thing yet, but uh, here in New York City, every day at seven o'clock uh, p.m., um, everybody opens up their windows and does like a two or three minute ovation. Um, you know, there's lots of cheering, lots, you know, people using pots and pans to make noise. Uh, and that is specifically for all of the essential workers, the healthcare workers, the police, the fire department. Um, you know the uh, the service workers, all who can't stay home and have to be out in the front lines of this every single day. So we're very grateful for the workers, and we're very happy that uh, you know we're, we're we're a very united city right now. Um, with all, even even considering how how tragic this has become.
0: Like listeners of the pod know that I'm right now sitting in my family summer house in Long Island, and we only un. Yes, I, have I am a time. spoiled rich guy. Yes, I'm a spoiled rich rich white guy. We all know that. Uh, and Corbett's been to my house multiple times, and he knows how small the town is. But we've only, unfortunately, we one day did the whole cheering at 7 o'clock thing. We tried to do it, tried to make it a thing every night, and it just didn't catch on, because sort of the prompting is the firehouse like sounding its alarm. And they only did it one night. However, whenever there is a birthday for any member of the fire department or the EMS for my town and, like, the next two towns over, they will actually do a whole parade through all the towns. Uh, like, with pots and pans, like, and cars and all of that. It's, it's really kind of cool. no- nice. Also yeah. a little annoying if you're trying to take a nap.
2: Which we know I do a lot of. Go ahead. Get it out of the way.
0: No, I wasn't trying to do that. I was just saying that I was taking a nap on Sunday, and which was Easter, coincidentally, and I was woken up by a parade. You nap so, on Easter.
2: Ben, ben Cohen, you'll appreciate this. I spent last Easter at a bris.
1: That's fantastic.
2: Yes. My, my hetero life mate, Greg Rice, um, had his first son, uh, and... It just happened to be eight days before easter so on the eighth day is when the ceremony took place and i went it wasn't my first one though my my two uh nephews um uh, uh for my oldest brother bobby were raised jewish so i went to my my younger nephew zach's bris and that was like 25 years ago
1: but have you ever been to like a bar mitzvah on christmas or something
2: no, I haven't quite uh, hit that milestone yet. That's, um, that would
0: be fantastic.
2: Yeah, but I, I think being at a bris on, on Easter is pretty good.
0: Error, you're talking to you're someone right. who also, I have uh, like this running tradition that's like my mom's gay best friend, whatever Jewish friends, and also one of my best friends, you know, actually a friend to all of us, Muhammad Tazbir Alam, always coming for dinner for Christmas, which is like the setup of like a good joke. A Jew, a Muslim, and a gay guy come to Christmas
2: dinner.
1: I mean, that just sounds like how Christmas works.
2: Yes.
0: Well, especially in New York.
2: Yeah. Um, So what do we want to talk about, fellas?
0: Well, Ben, I I have some terrible news for you. Uh Uh-oh. Mike has not yet watched Tiger King. (sighs)
1: Sorry. How can we keep making the same references week in and
2: week out if that happens? I, I mean I I, I Joe, Joe Exotic I mean I know I know the guy and like you know apparently he was murdered I don't know
0: No he didn't mur- he was not murdered he is in jail Oh okay. Carol Baskin who I was, was his arch nemesis he she definitely murdered her husband Spoiler Wait, alert I, I but, thought you know.
2: Joe Exotic was the husband
0: No Joe okay. Exotic is like in a he is like a polygamist uh Gay a marriage,
2: okay. There's a lot. <laughs> this show just sounds like it's perfect for 2020.
1: It really is. It is, yes. sort of, and I think that's why we keep bringing it up on this show because it is just the you know perfect seven hour train wreck that I think everyone can relate to in these trying times. Uh, and there's a little bit of escapism because you know there are people getting mauled by large animals and people that actually get to go and congregate uh, out of their homes. So, a little wish fulfillment for all of us.
2: Well, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to put it on the queue. I know every, pretty much everyone else has watched it, so I'm late to the game. But Join the zeitgeist. I'm happy to be a follower.
0: I actually was in a conference call with my coworkers on Thursday, and I ended it by saying, uh, see all you uh, cool cats and kittens.
2: I, I I guess that's a reference to the show? It, it is. is. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, I will I will get on that. Um, that might even be my my uh, my mission for today after I work out. What's the I think
1: workout schedule connected? like? I think, good, I think this is a good deed we've done today, Seamus. I think so.
2: So the workout schedule is, um, I it's it's really hard to do cardio. I mean, I could you know take a couple of runs. I live on the fourth floor, so I have three flights of stairs, so I could run up the stairs a couple of times, which I usually do every day because there's packages that come that people leave in the vestibule and I've got to run down and get them because if I don't, they'll be stolen. That's happened to me before. Um, but, uh, so my brother is actually avid, uh, an avid sort of weightlifter. He has like a, a set of dumbbells, a weight bench. So I usually do, you know, a couple of exercises for a certain muscle group each day. Uh, and then just do some stretching and, you know, sort of yoga esque stuff, um, just to kind of get the blood moving. And, uh, Seems to be working because I'm down 17 pounds since quarantine. Nice. So, um, I, off. I've, I've also, uh, for those of you who have been following my social media, uh, you see that I am cooking uh, many low carb meals at home. Uh, in fact, I have yet to post today, but I'll give you guys uh, an exclusive. Uh, I made myself chocolate pancakes this morning oh, um, with uh, the low carb chocolate protein powder that I have, uh, and they were delicious. Nice. So, yeah, just trying try to keep active, keep moving around. There are at least one to two naps per day. Um, for the folks who are watching this that don't know, uh, I have narcolepsy. So, um, usually I would take medicine to stay awake throughout the day. Uh, I have chosen to stop taking that medicine throughout this because it just helps pass the day. Um, you know, especially after, uh, like I said, we're, I'm entering week five of being within quarantine. So um, after five weeks, you need to find things to fill the time. And honestly, taking a nap is just one of those things that's part of my daily routine.
1: Weird so that. Life's great joys. I need to be sort of on the clock during the day because I'm working from home. So I don't quite get to do that. Um, rest assured, I have a very comfortable recliner in my office, though. There you go. Um,
2: but yeah, so... Um, you know just find things to pass the day um you know i'm trying not to go out as much as possible um i have the urge to go out and take walks but i'm trying very hard to you know even though i feel you know i like i said i'm i haven't been sick at all i don't know if i have it or not but if i do it's certainly not showing signs um but if for some reason i do have it i don't want to risk transmitting it to somebody who might have health issues or might be elderly. So I'm trying my best to not go out unless I absolutely have to, uh, which I absolutely did yesterday because I had to do some food shopping. So.
1: I may have made a trip to the Topeka Farmers Market this morning, uh, because I went last week right when it opened and it was, you know, still not very crowded. And I thought, you know what? This is easy to socially distance. All the vendors are, you know, wearing gloves and sanitizing things as much as possible. This is probably an okay environment. I went back today, a lot more crowded. I don't have a mask. And I thought, oh, I'll be in and out. And then sure enough, while I was buying cider, uh, my parents showed up and proceeded to chide me for leaving the house without a mask. My yeah, younger-
0: that's, those are loving parents. I know.
2: That's a, uh, it's, a, it's mandatory now in New York. If you're outside, you have to wear a mask. Um, I don't know if there's any civil penalties they're willing to put uh, on folks, such as a fine, but, you know, just I, my, my, my apartment overlooks Second Avenue, a couple of blocks from the United Nations, a couple of blocks from the Queen's Midtown Tunnel, and I'm looking down right now, and everyone that I've seen so far today is wearing a mask, so, you know, folks are trying their best to comply, I know that not everybody can stay inside, obviously there's people who've got to go to work still, uh, and people who have to go get supplies eventually, um, I'm ju- I usually just try to go you know at a time of day that um, there's not many people and when I went to the supermarket yesterday it was fairly empty so it, would, it sort of worked out
0: when I oh, when I hear about like the masks like not be people not wearing them and all that I'm every time I try to like think of different ways to like enforce that so first I thought of that maybe like you allow for citizens arrests but of course like that's not really spread Flattening the curve But like like in your situation What I'd say is maybe you want to get, Invest in a bullhorn And if you see someone Scream outside Hey where's your mask
2: I'm a labor guy You think I don't have a bullhorn in this house you absolutely you. I imagine
1: you have a collection yeah.
2: I, I have at least two That I know of and probably more That are like in the back of my closet That I haven't seen in years This would um,
1: be prime time to break them out
2: uh, well i'm thinking about that just because of the um uh, we were on a call with some of the local elected officials cuz this is an election year uh for all of the um the the assembly the state senate um and members of congress so um thinking of creative ways to campaign i was like listen i've got a bullhorn and a fire escape so uh, i'll hop out there and just start saying hey you know vote for you know vote for Liz Krueger for re-election for state senate, or Harvey Epstein for re-election for assembly, and you know, use my literal, literal bully pulpit that I have here on the fourth floor, um, over overlooking Second Avenue.
0: Um, you forgot about Carolyn Maloney.
2: I, I would never forget about Carolyn Maloney. Carolyn Maloney probably has the toughest race of all of them. That's not. i I, I also think she's going to win. But um, yeah, I, I think it's uh, you know, finding creative ways. To, to get the word out about campaigns. I don't think people want phone calls about campaigns right now. I don't think people want to talk about that right now.
1: I have had a few campaigns call me. I'll be nice to the local ones, like, all right, I know you when you know, we can leave our houses regularly again, I'm gonna wanna do stuff to help you, but I'm probably gonna give you 50 bucks and then say, leave me alone until we can all exist as a society again.
0: I got a text from someone from Joe Biden's campaign named Gigi. And they were just asking, like, how I'm doing and all that. I'm like, I'm great. How are you? Didn't get any reply. And so, Mike, you know who I'm – I won't say the person's name, but I did then text someone that we know that works on the Biden campaign. And I asked this person, do you know Gigi? person says – I think that may be a fake name. To which I just said – I gave a – Crying reply And then I basically said I was going to ask If she was cute
2: One track mind Seamus One track mind
1: You know You wouldn't be The first person To have that thought Campaigning
2: Um So What what do we think About the way Everything shook out With the presidential race I don't know If you guys have Talked about that yet
0: We had a special episode Actually uh The day That Bernie dropped out
2: I just think It's It's sort of Um Really um to see how everything changed over the course of one weekend, um, or really if you want to if you want to include everything like from the day that Jim Clyburn endorsed Joe Biden until Super Tuesday, which was a six day period, the race went from folks coming to grips with the reality that Bernie Sanders was going to be the nominee to Folks coming to grips with the reality that Joe Biden was absolutely going to become the nominee, and it just to me is um, uh, it 's definitely going to go down as one of the one of the uh, sort of more interesting weak periods in presidential campaign history
1: I think when you have just the field that we started off with, there was bound to be some kind of chaos, um, and I was telling a lot of people this after the first couple of contests like all right, I know what the results are. You've got, you know, at that point, a sort of a slight lead for Bernie Sanders, but you have so many people whose names are going to be on the ballots and people are like, every campaign is investing a different amount of energy in a different state. Like things are going to sway back and forth pretty wildly. Admittedly, I didn't think it was going to basically be decided at this point. We scheduled, I mean, we scheduled the Kansas primary for May last year, And our assumption was that we'd still have four or five people on the ballot by then, just knowing how many people there were going to be. Um, But I mean, as soon as one starts, I mean, there's just, there's so many people that it creates this massive domino effect. Um, It fell a little bit more quickly than any of us thought, but- I also think it was
2: the voters turning around and saying, look, guys, this has been going on for over a year now. Um, we're, we're, We're done with this. And then, as soon as people drop, they're like, "All right, well then, this is the way we're going to go." And you know, I think, and and the sort of guesswork that that you know the uh, the keyboard warriors put into this, that thinking that, oh, if this person drops out, that's going to help this person, and all of their voters are going to go this way. I mean, obviously, uh, the 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 specific example is the fact that um, Bernie supporters wanted Elizabeth Warren to drop out because they figured Elizabeth Warren supporters would. On mass, go to Bernie Sanders, and for about a year, you know, I, I was a proud Elizabeth Warren supporter. I know Ben, you were as well. Um, I I said to folks, guys, this isn't the case. Like, if you think that we're all going to Bernie, I think you're 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 missing a bit the bigger picture here. That this was someone who had all of the same ideas as Bernie Sanders, but we felt. Could actually get things done if she was elected president. And, you know, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, the Mike Corbett's supporting Elizabeth Warren. And as soon as she dropped out and people saw the support basically split 50 50 between Biden and Sanders. Um, then, of course, I, I got the guilt, like, well, you were never really a progressive. You weren't somebody who was really supporting progress. I was, Yes, I was. I was supporting the person I thought could actually get them done, not just the person who's giving me lip service about it.
1: The person. And, you know, my attitude when I decided, because it was really around the beginning of the year, I'd sort of been thinking for a while I was probably going to end up pulling for Elizabeth Warren. But it was really the beginning of 2020 I decided, you know what, this is the one that I've been the most comfortable with for a while, I'm just going to go ahead and say I'm throwing my weight behind her, however much that may have been worth, objectively not much. Um, And it was like, yeah, she's got that backing all the progressive ideals and the ability to enact that policy, but the appeal was so much more than just she thought a certain way, it's that she's somebody who has so much more of an idea of how to make that stuff happen, more really than I think anyone else in the field, including the people that were in it longer than her did, And my attitude as soon as she dropped out was, I don't have to cast my ballot for quite a while. I'm literally just going to vote for the nominee at this point. Um, Because you've got somebody who maybe liked the same policies as her, but didn't seem quite as capable of enacting them. And somebody who could be sort of prodded towards believing the same things she did. And I don't know, has a better idea of how government works. Um, But you always know that you're gonna have to start off from a place of a little bit more work for what you want from him. Which either one you can work with. I mean, I'm, I was never pessimistic about either of them getting the nomination, Sanders or Biden at that point. But it would have been a lot more fun if we could have just started with the one that sort of was the whole package. Not
2: yeah.
1: Or, or anything.
2: So, so that said, have you guys seen, um, uh, for, for whatever it's worth, it seems like there's buzz that Warren's going to be the pick. How do folks feel about that?
0: I have seen some. Is much- it actually buzz or is it just the racial mad out question?
2: Uh, no, there's been some, some, and, and of course, take this with a grain of salt, some some act- activity on social media today insisting upon Warren being the pick.
0: Well, Mike, She's as our of- governor keeps on trying to remind us, Twitter is not real life. True. Because if, if Twitter was real life, we'd right now have. And for those of you at home, Cor- Corbett is right now pointing to a sign that says "Thank you, Governor Cuomo,"
2: <laughs> which is right next to my "Ready for Joe" sign.
0: Yes, nice. but as also worth noting, if you know Twitter was real life right now, we'd have Governor Cynthia Nixon.
2: That is that is fair. Um, and, and Attorney General will Teach out, and God help us all. Um, so uh, again, take it with a grain of salt. Um, but it seems like. I never thought Warren was going to be in the mix for Biden. Um, I understand why he would want to pick her. I am just very weary of, let's be frank, the reason why Joe Biden is going to be the nominee is because of the base of the Democratic Party, which is Black voters. They came out in bigger numbers than in 2016, and they voted for Joe Biden because they trusted Joe Biden. and to not then pick one of the many very qualified um uh black women because joe's made it very clear he's going to choose a woman the the very uh the many very qualified black women that have been talked about um i almost think that could adversely affect him and especially after bernie has come out so strongly for joe and i know that i might get a hit for this much strongly even now, than he ever really did for Hillary Clinton. No, that's very true.
0: Damn straight, damn straight.
2: And, 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 and the reason why, as we found out, that when Bernie got to the Senate, one of the, one of the first people to befriend him was Joe Biden. They were actually, when he said my friend Joe on those debate stages, he wasn't, he wasn't, it wasn't a platitude. He was actually saying the truth. Joe and him are actually friends, which is one of the reasons why, to many of the Sanders supporters' chagrin, they didn't. Uh, they didn't get an attack from Sanders on Biden at all in the debates other than just tacit stuff. Um, so I really think he's helping out his friend. Um, how quickly he came out to endorse shows that. And I think if you're looking to, to court progressive voters, I think the, the active support of Bernie Sanders is going to accomplish that. So even as someone who supported Elizabeth Warren in the, in, in the primary... Uh, I I I don't know if she's the right pick for him. Especially, I also think it needs to be somebody that is younger, considering Joe Biden's age. And I know that sounds ageist, I but I love Elizabeth
1: Warren, and I want to see I want to see her elevated. Uh, I know people are talking about like, oh, you know, make her the Senate Majority Leader, or something like that, after this if, if we can take the Senate back, and that would be cool. But I think that she's the type of person who would be incredibly capable in the executive branch. It's just. Joe is older. He's white. He's a moderate. There's no, there's some balance if you put her on there. Um, you know, you mentioned the support that he got from African-American voters. He said for a while, he'd probably be picking a woman as his running mate. I think there's so much, you know, aside from a few of the rumblings that we've seen about Warren in the last day or two, there has been so much talk about Kamala Harris or about, uh, about Stacey Abrams, I know there have been a few other names thrown about, but those are kind of the two main ones. And that's just because I think if he wants to show the sincerity that he has for his gratitude towards the support he got from that community, he needs to be much more inclusive than just, I'm going to throw out like Hillary Clinton winning the nomination. She had strong support from people of color in 2016. And while there was a lot of speculation about what she put Kahlia Castro or somebody like that uh, to be her running mate, she ended up going with Tim Kaine because oh, he was on the same wavelength as her, and I genuinely heard people in that camp saying, well, he speaks
0: Spanish, so that will be an appeal to Hispanic voters, um, which was meaningless. Um, By that same token, like, George W. Bush also spoke Spanish.
1: Yeah, and look how that went.
2: Uh, Well, it's interesting because there was was a lot of talk in the Hillary camp that, well, listen, you have... Tim Kaine, who can actually speak Spanish, and even though Julian Castro is a Latino, he actually doesn't speak fluent Spanish. And I didn't realize why until this presidential campaign. And it's a story that I was actually familiar with from my boss, Costa Constantinides, who is a Greek American, um, but when, growing up in the house, he wasn't taught Greek because his father was very insistent, you're gonna speak English because that's what people speak in the United States of America. So his, Greek, his fluently speaking Greek father made a point to not actually teach him Greek. And he knows conversational Greek, he can understand Greek, but when Greek people come up to him and talk to him, they, he, he sometimes has to say, I don't really speak Greek. Anymore. And, and the, the story was similar with Juliana Joaquin Castro, their parents were like, you live in the United States of America, you're gonna learn English and that's the only language you need to learn. And because of that, they sort of lost part of their heritage and, and, and they've since actually tried very hard to learn the language even more. Um, and I thought that was an incredible story that had he been the pick of Hillary Clinton, which I was hoping for Julian Castro, to be quite honest, I thought he was the right person for, for the moment. And I think he would have done a much better job galvanizing uh, voters of color, specifically Latino voters, a lot of whom went to Donald Trump in 2016. Uh, So I think Julian was definitely the right pick. I was hoping Julian was going to be Elizabeth Warren's pick if Elizabeth Warren was the nominee. Um, And you know what? Had Joe Biden not committed to picking a woman, I think there'd be an argument for him this time, considering how strong, how Latino voters were mostly, mostly with Bernie and whoever the nominee was going to be, if it wasn't Bernie needed a stronger person from that community. So Again, I think this is all, this is fun to prognosticate. I think it's going to be interesting to see who Joe Biden picks, um, but he needs to be cognizant of, remember the people who got you there and, and don't necessarily try to, I think he's going to be fine on the progressive left. I think we're going to get what we're going to get. I think we're going to get more than we had in 2016 with Bernie's ardent support. Um, and it, there was even a, a news alert as we were on the podcast Joe Biden's talking about trying to find ways to help Bernie keep delegates that he had gotten that he would have lost under the rules to try to give him more delegates at the convention. And I think that's just, again, showing this working relationship between Biden and Sanders that I think is amazing, and much better than the working relationship between Clinton and Sanders in 2016, after all was said and done. Just fun stuff to talk about to make us not think of the situation that we're in. This is why we do politics.
0: And it actually, the part that also would be interesting, though, is, like, with what you're saying with, like, is also I know Bernie really wants to keep uh, as many of his delegates as possible to influence the platform. One of the parts that has not been brought up, though, is that actually the superdelegates get to vote on the platform. Right. So, which um, is something gonna... I think worth worth noting. Like, that's, like, the evil establishment and all that. but. Uh.
2: Yes. And I think, you know, the way things have been framed with the superdelegates are very, I know a lot of people who are superdelegates. They're like regular people. They're not like these evil political insiders. Sure, they've been around. Sure, they have experience. But a lot of them are very, you know, very active in their communities and speak for their communities. So I think it's to, to automatically labor su- superdelegates as evil. And I, I love that term, the establishment, because the establishment to me just means that people have been around and they have experience. And I'm fine with that. I actually like people with experience. I rather would have people with experience. That's why, controversial opinion, I would not pick Stacey Abrams. Mm-hmm. Because Stacey Abrams hasn't been anywhere above a state house leadership position. Um, had she been, and, and she should have been the governor of Georgia. She was, that election was stolen. And we know it was stolen, um, but she isn't. And developed.
0: also, we have also the current governor has, has proven himself to be completely. I,
2: I mean, Brian Kemp and, uh, and Ron DeSantis are trying to out more on each other. And it's kind of it's it's scary to watch in these times. Um, and but, yes, I mean, like, I think it needs to be somebody who has executive experience and or experience in D.C. and knows how the system works, which is why if I was picking for Biden. I would pick Kamala Harris. I think Kamala Harris makes the most sense. I know that there are detractors on the left that point to her experience with criminal justice when she was um, both a San Francisco um, district attorney and the attorney general of California. But again, I think that Bernie Sanders is going to help bring them in regardless. And the ones that aren't gonna vote based on Kamala Harris probably weren't voting for Joe Biden anyway.
0: And the thing that actually is like really bothering me though, is and I know this is also me having to like constantly remind myself of my own medicine about how Twitter not real life. People who are like s- saying like, oh, uh, if I don't vote for Joe Biden, it's not like a big deal. You know, it's not actually, and it's not helping Trump. And I just want to explain to them how the fact that, in the exception of Nebraska and Maine, every state just goes by the plurality. So whoever gets the plurality of the votes will actually get all of the Uh, electoral votes it's not proportional so basically if every vote that does not go to joe biden will be going to trump
2: and here here's something that uh, could be another controversial opinion for folks in new york that were like well i was voting for bernie sanders and now he's not going to be the nominee and new york is a safe state so i'm going to vote third party or write in bernie sanders or whatever i actually am opposed to that because Think of all the people who said that in 2016, and think of all the people who voted third party in states like New York or or California or Illinois, places that were safe democratic states. Think of how much more Hillary Clinton would have won by, and and by comparison, the argument that that would then be able to spur, and, and don't get me wrong, close to 3 million votes is still an incredible amount for someone who loses the electoral college. She could have won by maybe closer to five million votes, and then we're really having a conversation as to how outdated and how antiquated the Electoral College has become. If someone who gets five million votes less than the vote than the than the winner of the popular vote is still elected president, so I would la- I I I don't accept anyone in a in, in a so-called safe Democratic state uh, with their insistence upon voting third party, pretty simply because. It it doesn't show the strength that we actually have as voters on the left, whether we're Democrats, liberals, progressives, whatever you want to call us, um, and how much of a mandate that would be for Joe Biden if all of them got their heads out of their asses and actually voted for Joe Biden.
0: Moreover, moreover on that, actually, because we're all politicos, we all know that when we're working on campaigns, one of the first things you always look at is the past election returns, especially with the presidentials. And if you see that there are a lot of people that just did not fill out uh, for Joe Biden or just put in third party or did a write-in or whatever, then it shows that actually there is not a strong democratic base there. It will actually end up hurting progressives on down ballot races in future elections.
2: Yeah. So I I don't accept it. I don't accept that premise regardless of whether or not you live in Michigan or in Pennsylvania or in New York. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me
0: like i had one bernie bro who mike you actually know the person but i won't say his name he lives in california and he was saying basically the day after super tuesday congratulations establishment you got what you wanted and i facebook messaged him and i said you know if you're not going to vote for joe biden in the general all it's going to do is actually hurt your down ballot progressives and because they're just going to say, I don't have enough of a chance of winning because I don't have enough base support. And he basically, a few hours after I sent it, he finally messaged me and he says, yeah, I'm probably just venting right now, but you're absolutely right.
1: That's what most people I know that have had that attitude since since Bernie dropped out, have kind of been doing. I know a few that are still fussing. I know one that is sort of acquainted through other acquaintances who has, uh, apparently decided to take on a leadership role within a libertarian candidates campaign. Now, ah. after being a, you know, supposedly and progressive, the dissonance that is required for that. I, I can't really fathom, but that's just me. But for the most part, people sort of understand what the stakes are. They had to get it out of their system that this isn't going to go our way again. Uh, we're going to have to maybe take a different tact in terms of getting the results that we want for the most part, just sort of being patient with them has worked out. I was kind of stressing that, you know, both when we did our episode about Bernie dropping out the day that happened and just in a few other conversations I had, like, we're going to keep a lot of these people this year. I don't see, you know, because of the results, because of what happened when so many people decided to turn up their noses at Hillary uh, in 16, I don't think as many people are going to make that mistake again. Part of sticking the landing is just going to be sort of calming our own shit down letting them come to terms with how different it's gonna be from what they were expecting, and things will work out. And mostly I'm seeing that. I,
2: I also think it's important to look at the results of the primary, because if if you see, um, a lot of voters who voted for Bernie Sanders in, in 2016 voted for Joe Biden. And I'm specifically talking about one category of voters and I'm talking about non-college educated white voters, um, so-called working class white voters, who voted very heavily for Bernie Sanders in 2016, but some of them stuck with him. A lot of them went with Joe Biden because they trust Joe Biden. Again, Joe Biden has a very interesting appeal amongst working class voters. I can tell you that firsthand. Um, he would regularly appear at the Teamsters Convention every five years, um, and I got to see him speak twice, once as a, a, a quasi candidate for president, once as vice president um, under Barack Obama. and you have you, you people do not understand how much union members love joe biden and i'm talking like the traditional blue collar uh irish and italian union members of the past love joe biden voted for barack obama a lot a lot of a lot of the reason for that was because joe biden was his vice president and didn't vote for hillary because they felt that between her and trump Trump spoke more to them. I don't think Trump's gonna have that in the fall this time, because we're already seeing that happen in the primary where working class white voters are going with Joe Biden and are willing to trust Joe Biden. So I, I think that even makes him a, again, with the amount of support he had amongst the black community and the amount of support he had amongst the working class white voters, I'm actually a lot more optimistic about our chances in the fall, and that was even before anything happened with COVID-19, which I think is just once again illustrating the incompetence of the current administration. I think it is very clear that the, the wind was blowing in a certain way, and now with this crisis and how it's been mismanaged by the folks in the Trump administration, I actually feel really optimistic about our chances in the fall. Much more optimistic than I would have been, say, on January first,
0: twenty twenty. Oh yeah. Well, January first, all we were just thinking about was impeachment and how like that was not going to go anywhere. Right. You know, all it was just going to do is make a statement. And of course, that felt like a lifetime ago. How many? I mean, how many was I of mean, us actually thought about? Uh, thought about the impeachment and how Mitt Romney was the only one who had actually cur- had actual courage.
2: I, I honestly, I forgot that he had voted in favor of impeachment until you just said that right now. That's how long ago that was. That's how much of a lifetime ago that was considering everything that's happened. It was a couple yeah. of
1: months ago. That's, that's just how much time has slowed down.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it seems like a lifetime ago when that whole that we've talked about before, the coalescing amongst, you know, the sort of more more centrist candidates in the, in the, uh, in, in the primary and then Elizabeth Warren dropping out. Like, that seems like forever ago.
0: Honestly, I would love to just be... If, if assuming that like the pandemic is not still happening, I would just love if to be a, like a fly on the wall at the Romney family Thanksgiving.
2: So when do we think? Um, well, technically you would be—you'd be a dog on the floor because his dog is Seamus. Wow. Yeah, that's oh. right. I know that. That's right. Um, well,
0: actually, so.
2: So what I was gonna say uh, is, when do when do we think we're coming out of the other end of this?
0: I'd say February next year. Majority.
2: Wow, February, okay. February. Overall, I'm not Anything? a
0: scientist, so I, that's me just, just pulling out of my ass.
1: And yeah, I, I've just sort of given up on speculating. I have not enough scientific acumen to really have a good idea of this. And I think there are just so many factors that aren't set in stone yet. I mean, aside from just the research into what we can get in terms of a vaccine, um, as much as I think we've seen a lot of places show progress flattening the curve – you know, I'm fortunate in Kansas, we've by and large had success with that because we have good leadership here. Um, there is now, of course, this movement to push back against it early. Uh, you've seen, you know, them opening beaches back up in Florida. Apparently, Texas is going to be reopening a bunch of chunks of their economy.
0: People um, are trying to recall Gresham Whitmer in uh, Michigan, which I did the math on that. They're going to need about one point two million signatures
2: with my Andrew Yang hat
1: yeah, and they need and then there's just all the protests I mean we've got a there's going to be a protest about a mile and a half from my house uh, next Thursday because our governor has been very adamant that she's going to keep enforcing social distancing and keep enforcing the stay at home order, and of course some of the more conservative minded among us have an issue with that because they're very selective about when they want the government telling people what to do or not. Um,
0: That's why I'm, they're all for individual rights, right? So why can't we do citizens arrests of people that don't want to uh, follow social distancing?
2: Another thing they're for, they they love to talk about states rights. Well, the states are saying we're going to make our own decisions. And then meanwhile, you got the guy down in DC stirring everybody up saying uh, revolt. Um, Well,
0: it's Mike like, knows. It, yeah. Mike knows this, but Ben, I'm sure you probably also know this. Like I am a coal stand for Alexander Hamilton, and this is before the musical. Like I was always a fan of him. And when Andrew Cuomo at his press conference the other day started quoting Alexander Hamilton, I actually was cheering it aloud.
2: Uh, but the the point is, is that you see governors leading on this, and you know, and it's it's not just Cuomo. I mean, you know, Gavin Newsom, Gretchen Whitmer. Um, even even I, I, I'll, I'll go out of my way and give props to Mike DeWine, a Republican governor from Ohio like he's he joined that alliance of governors in like the Midwest uh, to say Larry Hogan. Yeah, Larry. I mean, like, there have been people who it doesn't matter, Democrat or Republican, it's just competent. Show me competence. Whereas, again, you see Brian Kemp and and Ron DeSantis trying to out on each other with the way that they're just going about this. It's just really disheartening for the residents of those states. And it's also gonna cause a larger, there's gonna be another, I don't know if you guys realize this, but back in when there was the, the influenza pandemic in 18 and 19, there was a point in, in in 1918 where everyone was like, okay, the cases are going down, we're gonna be fine. And then they, they opened everything up and there was another outbreak. And yep. that's what's, that's what's gonna happen. Um, again, not a medical person, but a, but a student of history you know, uh, the past is prologue and what happened then is gonna happen again now if we just start opening up things willy nilly. um, And, you know, the reason why I asked about timeline, I think the earliest possible conversation to start reopening things, I'm talking about a conversation and not definitive dates, but the the time that I'm thinking for that conversation to happen is around the latter part of the summer. And the reason why is because school, School starts again in the fall, and the question would be how much further into the school year can we go with this before we're having the students start learning in a traditional manner again? And I think that's when the conversation is really going to pick up, and depending on where we are in flattening the curve by then, I think we could start seeing, as Governor Cuomo has said in his briefings numerous times, a slow sort of reopening of the economy and of, the, uh, of life as, as we knew it before COVID-19, I also think we could see, I I think another thing that coincides and it's a small thing, but to a lot of people, it's a big deal is that's also when the football season starts. And I could also see NFL teams playing in empty stadiums to start the football season in like uh, September or October um, to start getting that going as well to once again, bring life back to normal. There is a part of me that is saying, I think we do need to strive to find ways to bring things back to normal while also keeping in mind that this is still very contagious. We don't know how widespread it is. We don't even know how long it, there still isn't a definitive answer as to how long it lasts once it's in the air, like how long of a half-life it has once it's actually, I don't even know if that's the right term, half-life. I'm not a scientist. The point of the matter is how long it lasts in the air and how, how long if somebody coughs in front of me and I walk behind them like two minutes later, is that, am I, is it going to, am I going to get it or is it going to be completely dead in the air by that point? Like, these are all questions we don't know. All very
0: good questions.
2: And without like more, more testing, 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 we're not going to know. And you know, uh, one of the people who started the mass close down was when we found out that Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson got it. And now Tom Hanks and is working on, on plasma. You beat me to
0: it, damn you.
2: So go because ahead, Yes.
0: It. Yeah, so actually on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, I'm guessing this is how you probably found out because you saw my tweet.
2: Actually, yes, or, I think it was because of your tweet. So sorry, yes. Sorry, I took the thunder from you.
0: Yes. So yeah, uh, the guest on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me earlier today was Tom Hanks, and he is saying that he and his wife, Rita Wilson, are donating their blood plasma because they have the antibodies, for science, so there is actually a chance that we will be saved by Tom Hanks I from love this it. pandemic.
1: Like, that, is absolute... that is absolutely coming to our rescue. How could it not be Tom?
0: And when we do the movie about this in like ten years, hopefully Tom will be able to play himself. But if not, we have to have Colin Hanks. Oh yeah
2: did any did either of you watch the the reunion of the Wonders last night?
0: I did not. I did not. I was on this conference call slash like party with uh, Ben and some other people, actually including a super delegate. Also, we were mm-hmm. up till three a.m. Oh yeah! Eastern.
2: And, uh, oh my God, you were got you guys were on that until three a.m.
0: <laughs> Wasn't my idea.
2: You know, some of
1: us were because for a while like, there, was me and somebody from Nebraska, uh, and we're we can say with- her
0: name, Hannah Robleski. Well, we shout her yeah. out
1: every episode. I don't want it to get too yes. deep. Um, and actually,
0: I also, I do owe an apology. You know, she's a national board member, which is something she told me to say. Shout out to Hannah.
2: So so the recurring themes of this podcast are are, are uh, Tiger King and Hannah Robleski. Just want to get that down. Basically.
1: But, yes, yeah, so we're on. And, you know, we're both in the central time zone. You're off in in the eastern whatever. It's weird. I don't know why the rest of you do different times from us get with the program. Um and you're—I mean, you were the first one to start yawning. You see, like Seamus, it's you know one p- one a.m. where you are. You are allowed to go to bed. We will not be offended. I knew you know you and I were about to get on this hours later again. Anyway, we can resume whatever conversation we're having. We keep that up, and then at some point, there there are two the, the system. It wasn't Zoom. It was something else that has tables. I'm saying in air quotes, where you have your own little separate group chats that everyone can go in and sort of bounce around between. And he decided to go and do some reconnaissance on the other table that was remaining, which included Josh Harris Till, who he convinced after the rest of the people from that one left to come and join us, which I don't know how much of that time we just spent all showing pictures of our pets.
2: Jo- but, uh, yeah. The official dog of the podcast, Manhole.
0: Yes, he was there. We Yes. Saw him. We saw a Manhole.
2: Um no, I didn't realize it. I, I know she- Seamus actually sent it to me. You know I'm not a Young Dem anymore, right, Seamus?
0: You are Young Dem for Life. I made sure of that. Remember his photos. Much,
2: I don't know how much credit I get with that, but sure.
0: You know wow. who's also Young Dem for Life? Who? Oh. John Green.
2: Yes, I remember that.
1: I literally just finished one of his books yesterday. Which one? Uh, Turtles All the Way Down. Great one, yes. yes.
2: Yeah, I, I found my uh, my placards from um, the YDA conventions in the 2011 and 2017, 2011 when I got elected vice president, and 2017, which was my last one. Um, and uh, yeah, the, 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 some of these behind me have fun stories. So there's those two. There's the one that says New York right here, the blue one. That's from the 2018 um, uh, New York State Democratic Convention. And that actually is New York County, which for those of you who don't know is Manhattan, New York County. So I, I made very sure as soon as that, that convention was gaveled out, I made a beeline for the sign because as I learned in YDA and at the DNC, the first people to the signs get the signs. And then this, this one has a very interesting one, the stronger together one. So I got this from- um, You know
0: people can't see this, right? So
1: people, you, you're- people- gonna- People can see Yeah, we're just we just post the audio. Oh
2: yeah. I thought people can see this. Oh, that's that's disheartening. Oh man. Well For those
1: who are listening, Mike has like a giant wall of placards and
0: stuff. Don't worry, Mike. We will put up like a photo of this on our Facebook page. And yeah. yeah. Well no, you posted up on your personal you didn't put it up on the page.
2: All right. so, So for those listening who want to go look at the photo, there's a stronger together sign behind me. Uh, which was one of Hillary Clinton's like sort of buzz phrases when she ran for president in 2016. But this is a placard from the podium that she held her last campaign rally in New Hampshire in 2016. And I got this from someone who worked on the campaign. I don't wanna say her name. Um, she may or may not have worked as advance for Hillary and that's as far as I'll go. Um, so uh, she gave me this and a bunch of other signs that she eventually took, but I'm like, I'm taking one. So I took this one, which was actually more disheveled. There was a much better uh, one that was in much better condition. And I'm like, I'll take the disheveled one. Turns out the disheveled one was the one that was actually used for her last campaign rally in New Hampshire before the election. So I have this in my house. That's the stronger together sign for folks that are looking at the picture. <coughs> and I can just, the, the rest of the signs, I am a man. I, I, I hope folks know the reference there. Um, this is from a protest that was held for airport workers um, 30, 32 BJ the un- one of the unions here in New York City was trying to organize the airport workers um, and the sign I am a man comes from the 1968 AFSME Sanitation worker strike um, and you'll know you'll know 1968 in Memphis Tennessee Memphis Tennessee because a very famous person went down to join the workers in that strike and that person was Martin Luther King jr. and that was when he was assassinated. Um, they were wearing these signs, I am a man, which basically says, I, I am a man, I have dignity, I have rights, uh, I should be treated just like everyone else. And it was a, a largely um, uh, people of color, who workers, who were trying to organize a union in um, in um, Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, and then the rest of them are just from random different things, um, cool. you know.
0: Mike, you will appreciate this because we were also, uh, I was also, as you know, at the 2018 state convention and for those of you of course i doubt ben is going to be doing screenshots of this but maybe he will i have the tish james yes. attorney general sign because of course i was i did not feel like spending money to stay at the hotel there so i just was staying at my house then i have the cuomo hochel 2018 sign
2: i have that one it's it's actually behind me but also but reversed on the other side
0: yeah well i have both of them yeah uh the Cuomo check mark,
2: Cuomo check mark,
0: yeah. Hochul for lieutenant governor,
2: yeah. Long may she reign. I have all and, of these signs.
0: Yes, and also the pendant. I never never got around to throwing them out, so they're still hanging out in my closet along why with would, my porg.
2: Why would you throw them? I still have my porg too. Um, why yes. would you throw? Like I I real I went through all of the signs that I had, and and y'all are gonna love this. I found a pristine. John Edwards' 08 sign. Um, and John Edwards was actually the reason I got involved, uh, more involved in politics. It was a speech he gave in 2007 at a labor dinner here in New York that I went to. Um, and he talked about his run for president because he was running for president again at that point. And his, the end of his speech was a call to action. Like, I'm running for president. That's what I'm doing to, because I think I can make this country better. But what are you going to do? And that's been sort of the light bulb went on above my head. And about two weeks later, I was on my way to a YDA Northeast regional meeting uh, in Hartford, Connecticut, having known nobody there except this one guy who I communicated with over Facebook. And as we know that that person is a friend of the pod, Michael Gilbert.
0: No, actually he's not a friend of the pod. He actually thinks the idea is stupid.
2: Whatever, but, but. Yeah,
0: and also another friend of the pod, I'm saying in air quotes, Stephanie Cabana Wheaton, have uh, been talking about how stupid this idea is of a podcast.
2: Yeah, Steph's not a fan of this.
0: <laughs> she says she's not, but we know she loves us.
2: Oh, to- uh, totally. And she's going to wind up coming on eventually. I'm going to be the, I'm no. going to call her. She's definitely going to come on eventually. We'll
0: find Well, we tried, we tried to get Joshua Harris till and he basically said uh, he would only do it for $10,000.
2: Oh, get your
1: stimulus donated checks together. To YDA, you know, what if you donated it to YDA, he didn't just want you to hand him the money.
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe we should uh, try to see if we can do a Patreon, and then our uh, money will go to YDA. Um, but oh, yeah, we no. can actually, oh, we can have me... Re- <laughs> the first, first Patreon, of course, then of course we have to drag up the price, is uh, my uh, West Wing fanfiction.
1: Naturally. I think you need yes, to... There's if- only a few pages, and as... You know, we established when we were chatting last night, uh, a lot of the best characters on the West Wing are not yet part of this fan script. So, you know, if, if the muse strikes you, maybe pad that out a couple more pages, get in a CJ cameo, just some really great one-liner for her, because, I mean, how could you not?
2: By the way, I don't know if you guys saw this, but I was watching The American President about a week or so ago, and I realized something. Andrew Shepard was a professor at the University of Wisconsin. Donna Moss went to the University of Wisconsin. How, did, how was there not a reference in the West Wing like how she took a political science class with Professor Shepard? That was a huge missed opportunity by Aaron Sorkin.
1: If we're going to
0: do four uh, sure the, I'm not sure if the timelines would like line up because wasn't she like just a recent college graduate?
2: It doesn't even matter if the timelines uh, melded. It was, just, it was just an inner reference. Yeah. Like a throwaway yeah. reference that like 10 people would have gotten, but all 10 of them would have really liked it.
1: If we're going to do like a Sorkinverse crossover, which I'm fully in support of, uh, I think at some point in your fan script, somebody needs to be interviewed by Will McAvoy. Uh,
2: Will McAvoy as the host of Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip?
1: Oh, just, we're really mashing it together now. Okay.
0: Wow. Well, okay. First off, uh, there is only one thing that actually transverses the entire uh, Sorkinverse, and that is uh, Joshua Molina. Joshua uh, Molina. That too, actually. No, he was not in Studio 60.
2: No, he wasn't.
0: No. It was uh, uh, Gage Whitney.
2: Yes, Gage Whitney. They mentioned that in Studio 60. I remember that.
0: Yes. Uh, that's, that's the only thing. But also, uh, within the West Wing, before there's the Republican that's before Barlett, and then before him it's D.W., and then I think before him, it's actually they make a, do make a reference to uh, Carter. So, uh, but also I th- I've actually read it like in that universe, Spiro Agnew was once president.
2: Wait, in the West Wing universe?
0: Because in in it somehow uh, Nixon had resigned, but they never make a reference to Ford. So it would have to be that agnew becomes president
2: that's interesting because ford was interviewed for like the what the special where they interviewed past presidents that's very funny i guess uh, from ford on um i don't know it's very weird it's well very actually weird. any any How fan was, of
0: any fan of uh, the west Wing weekly will know that actually uh, the west Wing was a show that did not have what's called the bible which is a sort of book where they would actually make reference like who did we introduce in what scene? What's their backstory? Uh, what parts of like real life is coming in? It's this way that they would have reference for co- continuity. So they just constantly broke their own
2: rules. Well, Didn't even matter. And I, lo- I love how there were some real countries and real people and then some fake countries and fake people. Um, like in the, the famous thing from the first episode is how Leo talked, Leo talked about uh, meeting Muammar Gaddafi. Um, and uh, you know, and but yet. Or true...
0: how uh, Christopher Lloyd played Lawrence uh, Lawrence Lessig.
2: Yeah, he was actually Larry Lessig, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the country that was trying to write their first constitution, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which Larry Lessig actually did. I forget which uh, country it was. It was a uh, former Soviet country, but. Yeah, Have, I will definitely recommend West Wing Weekly to all friends of our pod. It
2: is it is a great listen. It is, um, you know, the recap of the series and uh, and uh, started a whole trend because apparently there's many other shows that are doing it now. Um, Scrubs is doing it.
0: Yes, I um, saw that.
2: And uh, and I think there was talk of uh, a Friends rewatch with a couple of the couple of the Friends.
1: The Office does one.
2: The Office does one, yes, with uh with um Jenna Fisher. And Angela Kinsey, yeah. Yes, yes. Um so yeah, that that's the West Wing Weekly sort of began a trend there. I think we're gonna see a lot more of that. I'm waiting for the Game of Thrones one. Um that uh, uh my my hope for that would it would it would be hosted by Liam Cunningham. That's just my, my personal opinion. I think what we need to
1: do, Corbett, is have you started and have a different cast member rotate in every week. I mean so I've I got
2: time. You're book them, Just you know. I've got time. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, I would also have to re-what's no, game. Actually,
0: of no, I think the issue should be hosted by uh, who's the one who played Littlefinger?
2: Oh, um, oh uh, what's his name? Aiden Aiden Gillen. Aiden Gillen. Aiden Gillen.
0: Yeah. Yes. His voice is just I actually so I bought on Audible the Art of War. It was like three dollars. And it's it's played by Aiden Gillen. It's narrated and it's just completely wonderful. Because it all sounds so sly.
2: Um, the thing is, I would have to co-host that with a cast member because that's the way yep. this, this has worked with all of the other ones. Even, like, Rishi uh, Haraway hosted it with Josh Molina. So yeah. like, um, I would have so to do it with a cast we, member. hopefully,
0: maybe we can find Aiden Gillen, you know, and do it with him.
2: Find me Aiden Gillen. Find me Liam Cunningham. Um, I would even take St- Stephen Delane. That would work for me as well who, as we know, played Thomas Jefferson in the Adams the Adams miniseries.
1: I think we know what your next quarantine venture is, Mike. <laughs>
2: well, well, hopefully there's no next quarantine. No, not
1: next quarantine. Your next venture in
2: this quarantine. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I guess I've got to start the Game of Thrones rewatch podcast. Here yeah. we go. George, George, you, George, you, George producer, you, know. He, you know what? This quarantine might actually get him to finish those damn books. He says they will. He, he claims it'll happen.
0: Also, why the hell didn't they like also release like on DVD all of the other episodes, uh, versions of the ending?
2: There were multiple versions of the ending.
0: Yeah, apparently they filmed multiple ones this way, like the cast and crew would not know.
2: Was it multiple it was versions big- of the ending, just like the last scene where they decided who the next king was going to be? I think so.
1: Yeah, t- just to keep from uh, there being too many spoilers.
2: Um. I mean, I was kind of. Fi- I I know a lot of people weren't like very happy with the ending. I was fine with it. I actually was. Hold on, we watched okay. the ending yeah. together. Well, well the, thi- the thing, the well, because you know you, you gotta you gotta take a minute to like t- like take it all in. Um. Uh. And the thing that really got me is when um, oh, what's his name? Um, the guy who was the new maester. Um, oh, Sam. Sam. Yeah. Sam Tarley. Uh, turned around and said, "Why don't we let the people vote?" I'm like, "If this ends well, in democracy,
0: as, if this people, ends in
2: democracy, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill myself."
0: Who, who was the one who actually suggested that it would be democracy first?
2: Well, you did.
0: Yes, and coincidentally, so did AOC, but that's a different story. I'm like, and,
2: well, AOC watches Game of Thrones, huh? Well, another check for AOC.
0: But she, uh, but yeah, I was suggesting, hey, it may actually end up with democracy because you know. The writers hate, hate the audience so much already, so why not to screw with them some more? And when we were watching with Taz and our friend Corin, basically, Corbett started screaming, no, definitely not. I'm like, yes. And then, of course, they kind of went halfway, and they decided to do an electoral college system.
2: Yes, basically. Which we know how swimmingly that worked out. Um, just ask Samuel Tilden. If Samuel Tilden were here, he'd be dead by now.
0: Unless he's a vampire, which, you know, we've seen plenty of vampires.
2: That's only Abraham. No, Abraham Lincoln was a vampire hunter. Yes.
0: No. I was going to say, actually, Nicolas Cage is a vampire.
2: Paul Rudd's a vampire. The man hasn't aged in 30 years. That is because Paul Rudd
1: is a Kansan and he lives well.
0: Ben, are you saying that you're going to outlive us all? Yes.
2: He answered that just as quickly as Elizabeth Warren answered the VP question. Oh, man. Um, well,
0: Ben, I guess at some point I'm going to have to teach you all my skills with producing this uh, for when I die of the pandemic.
1: Well, yeah, so that I can continue it on in the future centuries. No, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah.
0: Uh, uh, I don't know. Camp, our uh, corporate and Cohen's cookie quarantine sounds pretty good.
1: Oh, so
2: you're planning a vacation now? You're fired, Janice.
0: If by vacation you mean uh, eternal damnation, yeah, I guess.
2: Vacation like Forrest Gump's father went on vacation. Mm.
0: Oh, that is a deep cut.
2: Yes.
1: You just staggered him with emotions, Mike.
2: <laughs> I, 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 do, I do on a fairly frequent basis. I've learned.
0: Yes. Um, well, Mike and I also talk probably every day, in one way or another.
2: Yeah. Um, so uh, the the Zoomers Caucus here in New York City did a uh, a trivia night last night, um, and actually the questions were really hard. It was all New York City slash New York State trivia, uh, and I unfortunately only lost by one question to um, a famed city and state writer, Jeff Colton, who folks here in New York City. Know very well, um, but I was—I was a very cool thing, and I think we need to do that on the national level, and I think this could be a vehicle for that.
0: I could get was that, the story, was that the story you were going to tell for the podcast?
2: Uh, well, no, the story I was going to tell about was about the stronger together sign that I got from New Hampshire. Uh. Um. But uh, but yeah, so I, uh, I think that would be a really cool thing to do on the national level. And you could probably get a bunch of people on a Zoom. Um, and you know, the, I think the prize for last night, if anyone other than Jeff Colton won was a year free subscription to City and State Magazine. Uh, but Jeff Colton won, so I think he got like a Working Families Party shirt.
0: I already have a free subscription to City and State because. I'm a, I actually am triple threat. I am a government worker, I am a nonprofit worker, and I am a college worker. But can you dance?
2: Uh, I am only one of those.
0: I'm white. I can dance. You know that. It's
2: good to be honest. Okay. Hey, listen. listen uh, uh, racial disparities aside, I can dance really well. I'm just saying. Uh, I'm a white guy that can dance. I'm, so. to think,
0: I'm sure I've seen you dance before.
2: Yes. I, am, I don't I think am, I've ever
0: seen... I think I've only seen you dance at weddings.
2: What wedding were we at?
0: Like uh, Christmas.
2: Oh, right, right, right. Can't believe he's still married. <laughs> Actually, do you, have, do you have my permission to put that on the podcast.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, he's got married. Well, he got married twice to the same woman.
2: Yes. And technically I was, I was the best, I was his first best man. And I will yeah. always, and Seamus, you watched it on live stream. So, you know, yeah. I was, I was his um, first best man. Oh,
0: that was possibly one of the most fun nights of my life. So for listeners, our friend, Chris Smith, who was one time the national committeeman from New York, God help us all who there's no, he's an experience. He there's no way to really properly describe him.
2: Uh, I, I'm going to use a word that somebody else wants used for him. He is a degenerate. Um, <laughs> uh, and like le- legitimately was like the kind of guy that like, he, he, he was a very fun guy to be around. Let's just put it that way. Um,
0: as and, long as like, you're not like dating him or like his mother, you're, you, you're great.
2: Yeah. But, great guy to have around. He,
0: yeah. But if you ever need like someone to throw a bachelor party, he is your man
2: totally um, uh, and yeah so, he, he met his match
0: but so he so Corbett is just about to head out to LA for was it the 2015 convention
2: the the uh, the uh, what's
0: 2017
2: also, or, also, yeah, 2015. also known as escape from LA <laughs>
0: yes
2: Cause that and was so he that was that was that was not a fun convention
0: I've you, heard you stories my entire
1: time in YDA and I'm okay with that what was that? That was the only convention that I have missed in my entire time as a member of YDA.
2: Oh, but- you, you – it was – yeah. No, you made the right call on that one. Uh, whistling whistling the Hunger Games theme in the middle of the floor on Saturday waiting for voting to begin became a thing. So – but, yeah, so I was headed to L.A., and we made a pit stop in Las Vegas, um, and – Chris witnessed- gets married,
0: uh, like, in the – at this one chapel outside. Uh, and it was all live streamed. So basically a whole bunch of us were just like all doing a group chat. Like in a Facebook comment wall. <laughs> and meanwhile, I'm like texting with Corbett during it. And he's saying, I'm like, how hot is it? And he says, it's hot as balls, dot, 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 the devil's balls. Those were yeah. those his exact words.
2: That That is, a, that is an accurate uh, Mike Corbett quote. Um But it was fun. It was a good time. Um, And, uh, you know, um, he met his match and uh, his wife, Alyssa, is wonderful. Um, And they now live in um, what will hopefully become Jamie Harrison country in South Carolina.
0: And actually, speaking of uh, of Jamie Harrison, you,
2: you had a Jamie Harrison segue ready?
0: He's a no, I was going to say Chris Smith reference of our, oh, fair. so Sort of So as we uh, Chris Smith is also the South Carolina Director for t- Tim Ryan's Campaign And there's going to be a call next week with Tim Ryan With uh, the Young Democrats of America
2: Oh cool Isn't Chris the Young Democrat again now?
0: He is Until he's 40 Which he may be actually now right?
2: He might actually, be. I think he is 40. I think he turned 40 in, in January. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Chris, Chris Smith aged out of New York, moved to South Carolina, became a, de- a young Democrat for like another year or two, and then <laughs> aged out again. Good times. Young Dems, was, you, you know what? For, for everyone who, who came through Young Dems and has a negative opinion of Young Dems, Young Dems was a good thing. I, I think I owe a lot of where I am professionally today to Young Dems and... I will challenge anyone that says young Dems do not have uh, worth. And there are many examples I can point to. Uh, Number one, I have my job because the the person I'm working for was the vice president of the Queens County young Dems when I first met him. And the chief of staff was the president of the St. John's college Dems when I first met him. So I'm working with two people who I literally met in young Dems, but also the skill set you get makes you valuable in ways that people don't realize case in point. I go down to Atlanta for the DNC elections in 2017. Uh, I'm down there specifically to help my friend, Michael Blake, who's an assemblyman here in New York, hopefully soon a Congress member here from New York. And he's, he ran for vice chair of the DNC uh, coming out of the 2016 election. And um, we had a meeting of the campaign, uh, the folks that were down there to volunteer for the campaign. Uh, and they were like, yeah, the voting is gonna begin today. And you know, if someone's gonna leave, they have to leave a proxy. So of course my hand goes up. Who can carry a proxy? How many proxies can people carry? Do they have to be instructed? And the person who was running the meeting sort of like their jaw dropped and they're like, we'll get back to you on that. And about an hour later, I got a a text in the group text. Hey, Mike, could you go stand by the proxy table and make sure all of the proxies are properly filled out for Michael Blake? And I'm like, I can totally do that because I learned that in YDA. So um, I also yep, learned sweet. how I also learned uh, how to run a meeting efficiently and in some ways um, uh, manipulatively <laughs> by using Roberts Rules of Order. And I learned that because of YDA. And honestly, I met a lot of people who I'm, you know, both friends with and also politically associated with mm-hmm. through YDA. There's a whole generation of people who came through Young Dems, whether it be uh, the the local Young Dems, the state Young Dems, or the national Young Dems that are all doing things politically now. I mean, you've had multiple um, Young Dems who have been elected state party chairs. Um, multi- you have multiple uh, Young Dem alumni who are so-called super delegates. Uh, you have Young Dem alumni who are elected officials all across the country, uh, and I think it's a valuable thing. So I think Young Dems it was a good. It was a good experience for me. There were some highs, there were some lows. I wouldn't trade any of it in.
0: Damn straight. Well, Mike, I can say this: like you're one of my best friends, and I met you through Young Dems. And yeah. God knows when I age out in about five years, you know, you're still knock on wood that you'll we'll still both be around. We'll still both be like making all of our very crude jokes to each other. But it's all yeah. thanks to Young Dems, and both ben of course i think his podcast also brought you and i closer together It did, oh, yes. and
2: he's hearts, giving right now giving a heart around.
0: shape yes right. hearts all around
2: well that's the other thing is i can go anywhere in this country pretty much in every state and if i needed to like crash on somebody's couch like if i went to kansas and i called up ben and said hey can i crash on your couch ben would be like totally like i could do that mm-hmm. in multiple states all across the country uh and i think that's something that you know for being in the you know the the sort of business or periphery of the business that we're all in, you know, that's valuable. If you want to go to a like a swing state and go campaign, if I would, wanted to go to Pennsylvania, there's people I could stay with in Pennsylvania. If I want to go to Michigan, people I could stay with in Michigan, Florida, like everywhere. So uh, it's
0: bringing it's- it back to where we were earlier with Joe Biden. People don't really are forgetting about how much of the retail politics he was good at. He made those genuine friendships. When you're around in politics for 40 years. People remember you. People know you. You, He was at an age where he started at a time when you were not expected to go home uh, to your district every weekend. Like, that was actually relatively new. That only started really under Newt Gingrich. Yeah. Back, uh, back, uh, one of my favorite op-eds I've ever read was by Evan Bayh when it was 2010, and he wrote, like, why I'm retiring from the Senate. And he explained how when he was a kid, you know, his father, of course, Birch Bayh. Uh, he would uh, basically birch and was friends with uh, all the other senators. All the kids like would go to soccer games, uh, be on each other's soccer team. So the parents, members of Congress, Senate, they'd all be hanging out at the soccer games and having dinner together. And that's actually how the genuine friendships uh, came together. And there's one story that just thinking about it, brings a tear to my eye. Uh, one year... Birch Bayh is having a really tough re-election fight. And uh, during the midst of a Senate vote, Everett Dirksen, the Republican leader, comes up, puts his arm around Birch and says, what can I do to help? People like, I, I get a lot of flack for saying this, but I really do not hate Republicans. And, you know, I've there's a f- friend of the pod, quote unquote, uh, Stephanie kamanya Whedon tells me like I shouldn't date Republicans. And my thing is, just because I disagree with him doesn't mean I'm disagreeable, you know. I had a really good relationship for a while with someone who was a former Republican tracker. You know, she wanted to focus more on our, her career, uh, so just didn't work out. But, you know, I have no hard feelings.
2: Yeah, there are legitimately some, some Republicans even, I mean, obviously New York City Republicans would be Democrats pretty much anywhere else in the country. Um, but like there are some Republicans in like city and state government that I legitimately like. Like the Staten Island Borough President, Jim Otto, is actually probably one of the more, more decent elected officials in all of New York City. Um, Eric Ulrich is a, another guy that's you know sensible. He has, he leans Republican on a lot of fiscal issues but he is socially conservative socially liberal when it comes to issues like gay marriage and stuff like that. So I, I don't hate Republicans, but, and I think you're right about the Joe Biden thing is I think that there's a lot of people who are independents and even Republican leaning voters who probably pulled the lever for Trump because again, they felt for whatever reason, he was the better of two evils. And I don't think that's gonna be the case in 2020. I think people are gonna vote for Joe Biden. There is, there is an empathy about Joe Biden that I don't think people understand. And if you look at some of the endorsement videos, specifically Elizabeth Warren's endorsement video, um, it talks about how genuine a person Joe Biden is, how much he, he relates to you on not just a, a professional level, but on a personal level. And I think that that's being discounted by a lot of people, sure he's up there Sure, he's not as sharp as he used to be. I mean, who is when they're in their late 70s? But he's still got it. He still has enough that he can connect with voters, and I think it's going to help him out in the general election. Conversely, back to your Birch Bayh point, do you know who defeated Birch Bayh?
0: I do not, actually.
2: Ben Cohen, do you know this? It happened in 1980, in the Reagan sweep of 1980. Birch by was defeated for reelection. Uh, for Senate. Do you know, who, you know who defeated him?
1: Off the top of my head now.
2: This person would eventually become the Vice President of the United States. Dan Quayle is the person who beat Birch Bayh. Oh my God. In 1980. And eight years later, he would go on. He, he was a congressman at the time. He ran against Birch Bayh, beat Birch Bayh in the, the big Reagan year of 1980 and would be, eventually be George George H.W. Bush's VP. Uh, eight years later, had Birchbot won that race, Dan Quayle never would have been vice president, and we would not have had. Uh, what was it potato? Potato. So you can add that question to the to the trivia game when we do this.
0: Except that all people who listen to the pod will now know this. Well, it
2: can
1: be a first round question, you know, some of the easy ones, and it can be a test of who's actually consistently listening to us.
2: There you go. I think that's the important thing. You want to make sure people are listening. Oh yes. No, this works. In fact, you can tease it and say, "If you want a couple of pence, listen to the pod, and you will have the answers to some of these questions."
1: You know, when society runs normally, I play bar trivia on Wednesdays, and they always put up a hint for one question on their yep. Facebook page that morning. You know, this is the equivalent.
2: Here's your hint, folks. Get your shit together. Hell yes. <laughs> I don't know if you have to bleep that. I don't know if we're allowed to. Oh, uh, we can say. shit. Oh,
0: yeah, we we. We curse all the fucking time. We're <laughs> naughty.
2: Um,
0: the only time that we curse is if well, we mention people who would probably not want to be part of the show.
2: You actually bleep out people's names who don't want to be part of the show? We don't bleep Steph Wheaton.
0: <laughs> we don't bleep her out. Um, but there was someone from Texas, we won't say who, uh, who did not want to be a guest on the show, but... Jack Blanchard it, did mention
2: this person. Isn't it Texas? What? Is it still Texas? I thought it was Virginia now.
0: Maybe. But this person did not want to be a part of the show. So we did actually bleep them out. Oh. <sighs> with that, it's been great potting with you all.
2: Thank you, guys. It was a lot of fun. Uh, let me know if you ever want to do this again. Yeah. And, well, uh, we
0: got a all- we got a whole bunch of new people that may be interested as of uh, last night from our
2: Get them all on, conversation. And then uh, let me know if you... Uh, I'll be happy to help with the trivia thing if you want.
0: Yay! Mm, yeah. Our theme music is produced by Alexander Nakamrata. I've been Seamus Campbell.
2: I've been Ben Cohen. And I still and have we... Mike Corbett.
0: Hooray! He is the Mike Corbett. Well, don't you forget it. Thanks, everyone, and stay safe.